It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is one of the stars of the Australian track and field team that is busily preparing for the upcoming rescheduled and hopefully going ahead Tokyo Olympics in 2021. Uh, she was raised in Canberra and showed great promise uh, as a junior. Uh, her running, though, was uh, somewhat derailed during her teens uh, as uh, a darkness set upon her. Uh, and we'll speak about that uh, during the course of the next hour, the battle she went through uh, in terms of her mental health, anxiety, depression uh, and an eating disorder. But I'm pleased to say that uh, her life and her career uh, got very much back on track. A change of cities, uh, a change of coach uh, to the legendary Peter Fortune. Yes, uh, the man who coached uh, Kathy Freeman to Olympic glory in Sydney in 2000. And since then, really, uh, a rapid rise to prominence that was capped off when she broke a national record that had stood for 43 years in one of the most gruelling events that you can possibly set your mind to, the 800 metres. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Katrina Bissett. Hello, Katrina. Hey, how are you going? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for your time. Um, let's start with what you're doing right now. We're in lockdown here in Perth, uh, have been this week, uh, which has been very sudden. Um, but you're in Melbourne, I know, uh, preparing for Tokyo, and that's your, your home and your base. Um, how is it trying to prepare for the biggest uh, event of your life, the Tokyo Olympics, um, having to juggle this lockdown experience? I know you're out of it currently, and fingers crossed that'll continue, but how's it been? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, it's something no one really expected, but um, I think as athletes... We really have to be adaptable and um, whether that's injury or a global pandemic, <laughs> um, yeah, we have to adjust um, our programs and, and, and that's what we are trained to do anyway. So, um, yeah, it's certainly, certainly been an interesting year and, and definitely very disappointing that I wasn't able to go and, and race in Europe and America, which I would have liked to do last year and this year. Um, but um, no, there's been some silver linings as well. I've been really been able to focus on my training and having those long, unbroken months of training is actually really beneficial. Yeah. So during lockdown and all the restrictions on movements and, and people being able to go to work, you know, if running is essentially your job, have you been able to pretty much get out there and do that without any hindrance or restriction? 
Um, I'd say maybe 90% of the way. I mean, I'm very, like, yeah, runners are very lucky that we don't need to be indoors. We, we can do pretty much everything we need to do um, out in the out, yeah, in the outdoors. Um, so I, I really feel for swimmers and, you know, um, badminton players and all these people who need very special equipment. But, um, yeah, us runners have been, yeah, very lucky in that sense. We've been able to do most things. But I think the biggest... Um, downside was not being able to train with my group and not being able to see my coach um like it was quite even though it's an individual sport we do run as a team and mm. um I'm very much happy to be back with my big squad of girls and and back with 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 um Fort we call him Peter Fortune yep. um um having him around is yeah it's completely different it's yeah even though you can get the work done by yourself it's it's not the same how do you deal with all of the talk about the Tokyo Olympics and, you know, recent reports suggesting that they might be again cancelled. Um, mm. Obviously, you're just focused on an event that you assume is going ahead, but are you able to block all that out? Does it affect you? I'd probably say that's the hardest part of um, all, the, all um, the, about this COVID situation is is all the speculation and um, this this noise in the background of you know, is this thing that we've been working towards for four years, is this going to go ahead or not? Um, so it's it's certainly uh, stressful having these rumours around. And um, But, yeah, I mean, none, all, you know, sports people have to deal with this sort of thing all the time. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, it, it, it has been challenging, yeah. The idea of going over there and, and there potentially being no crowds, obviously a lot of people... Uh, watching from their their lounge rooms all around the world, um, but the idea of it not being there, you know, with the buzz of a packed stadium, um, is that a factor at all? Because I'm I'm sure when you grew up, and I know you've been running since you were a, a little girl, um, the idea of going to an Olympics, I suppose, being a part of just a a huge event and the buzz of the people there and the energy and the village and all of those sorts of things, mm. um, is that is you know is that a shame for you as you countdown to the Olympics that will hopefully go ahead in a few months time. Does it take away from it at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just that feeling when you walk into a packed stadium and the sound and the atmosphere, like that's why we, that's why we do this, you know, that's, Mm. that's what, that's like, you know, that's our intoxicating drug, you know, when, when we do it for. So it's, it's it's hard to think of a of a major champs without a crowd, but um, we, we joke around in uh, with the Australian runners that we have such a small crowd in the domestic season here, <laughs> so um, we're probably pretty good at running with with a small crowd. Um, but no, I'm, I'm yeah, that it'll it'll be very different for sure. Yeah, because oh, I know you have performed um, and run in front of some big crowds. I mean, the the occasion when you. Uh, beat that long-standing Australian record, the the London uh, event that you ran that in. Big crowds there. What's it like running in, yeah. in big crowds compared to here in Australia? Well, that one was really special because it was in the Olympic Stadium as well. Mm. Um, and um, no, yeah, it, it was it was definitely different. And, and having the media and the photographers, and um, it was yeah, it, it, it's very very different. Um, but um, I think that's just a matter of scale. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to your early days, Katrina. Uh, I know you started running when you were quite young. I think under sevens, you um, mm. you first rolled up at your local little athletics club in Canberra. What was life like for you as a youngster growing up in Canberra, um, and and why athletics? What uh, what got you to the track? 
Yeah, so I started um, running with little A's. I think that's the origin story of a lot of um, yep. our track athletes. Um, and um, yeah, I was a really active kid, did a lot of sports. Um, so swimming and running were probably my main ones and uh, did a bit of netball and touch footy and that sort of stuff with school. Um, but yeah, I was a very, very active kid and, and I, I really got into the running, um, the little A's quite early and found out that I was quite good at it. So I think that, that um, uh, also contributed to my enjoyment of, of, of athletics, getting all those little medals at, uh, mm. you know, the state champs and the regional champs and that sort of thing. The 800 metres, that's the event that you've settled on now, but was that always your, your pet event, going back to those junior, junior days? No, I was a I was a sprinter, so I did the ones and twos, and then I moved up a little bit to the fours. But I, I also really enjoyed the throwing events as well. Like yeah. my um, my mum used to do shot put in when she was in high school, so she taught me you know, the proper technique of, of throwing the shot put. So I was, um, yeah... <laughs> Could do the one and two, but also the shot put as well. <laughs> Enjoy the multi event. Just, just on your your, your mum and dad. Your mum is Chinese. Uh, your mm. dad uh, born here in Australia. How did they meet? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, they have a very um, sort of nerdy, meet cute kind of thing. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they they both did um, PhDs in mechanical engineering at Newcastle Uni. Right. Um, so they they met they met doing that. Yeah. Okay, and, and then we and moved to Canberra soon after that. Yeah, f- for their jobs. Um, yeah, I think so. And and my 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 grandma used to um, when when she yeah my grandma used to live in Canberra. Yeah. Um, so I, we moved there to be closer to to other family in Australia. It, it can be a bit of a bubble, uh, can't it, uh, <laughs> Canberra? If you haven't, for, for those who haven't been there, I think often their first experience is that it's it's almost like this sort of Truman Show type um, place. You live in this insulated little bubble. There, I suppose, when you're growing bit. up in it, you don't know any different, do you? But uh, you're right. now that you've been and, and spent time in Sydney and and now Melbourne, um, your reflections on Canberra. What 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 are your memories of of life as a little kid growing up in Canberra? Mm. No, I think Canberra is is a really beautiful city. Like in, you know, bush capital, um, and especially having moved away and now um, seeing it from the outside, I really think it is exceptionally um, interesting as well architecturally like I'm, I'm studying architecture mm. at the moment and and you know Walter Burley Griffin having this you know uh, grand plan for a city um, and having it so you know this eclectic mix of different kinds of buildings as well I, I think it and, and then yeah that all sort of scattered in this really beautiful uh, um, bush setting um, yeah I, I, I appreciate it a lot more now than I yeah. than I think I did when I was growing up like yeah. as you say I didn't really know any different um, but going back there now I, I can really see how beautiful it is yeah as a youngster then obviously you're a very active kid you mentioned not just athletics but the other sports that you're participating in mm. as well you've obviously got two very academically minded <laughs> parents <laughs> as well how That's did you right. juggle those sort of competing pressures or did you even need to to juggle it you know as a youngster particularly in, in, in primary school the academics and the sporting pursuits no I was I've definitely been very ambitious in all these different areas of my life um yeah, it, it definitely was a challenge, um, sort of particularly towards the end of high school, sort of thinking about um, uni and getting good ATAR and that sort of thing. And yeah, having two very academic parents uh, can be quite <laughs> stressful for a young person. Um, 
So yeah, it it definitely was quite tricky, and and I think yeah, it it was uh, did take a toll on my mental health as well, which I think is where we're sort of heading towards yes. in this conversation. Um, but um, but yeah, it was um, I I uh, yeah had had a lot of diverse interests and and was really very um, uh, ambitious in 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 those pursuits, whether that was good or bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you've been very uh, open and, and courageous in talking about that. Uh, your mm. mental health struggles. Uh, we'll we'll just take a quick break, Katrina, and I'll get you to uh, to to tell us all about it again right after this. This is inspiring mm. stories. Katrina Bissett is our special special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our guest in this episode is our national 800-metre record holder, Katrina Bissett, who joins us uh, from Melbourne for our chat uh, on this occasion. Uh, Katrina, we've, we've sort of zoomed through your childhood. Uh, we are at that point now where, um, look, and I know you've, you're quite open in talking about this, but uh, your, your life really did uh, get consumed by... A pretty dark cloud, didn't it? I mean, I've I've seen comments from you where you talk about uh, your eating disorder that you had uh, to go, I suppose, in association with your anxiety and depression. At, at times, you've even said that you were you were suicidal. I mean, this is as as heavy as it gets. What what led you to this place? Um, I don't think it's ever any one thing that that leads to um, having mental health troubles. Um, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, a big part of it was, uh, you know, my just genetics and, and um, uh, you know, that I'm more susceptible for this kind of thing. Um, but I think a big, uh, yeah, sort of catalyst was moving away from home and um, starting university um, and, yeah, being away from my support network and, and my comfort zone and, and um, yeah, that sort of... Uh, yeah, I was very, very ambitious and and um, starting architecture for my first year and uh, it was a lot of late nights. So I was not really looking after my body um, as well. And yeah, so that sort of let me down um, into that. Yeah, I've, I've several hard years of um, dealing with, with anxiety and depression and um, yeah, and and in, in a way it was, it was uh, good as well for things to be quite intense that I had a, this wake up call and, and, um, uh, was able to, um, ask for help and, and mm. get care when, when, um, when I really needed it. As I understand it through your sort of middle teens towards the end of your high school time, you weren't that focused on your athletics. You ran in school competitions, that sort of thing, but it wasn't something that you pursued in a big way outside of school. Is, is that right? And do you think there's any link between you stepping away from that focus on athletics and, and your slide into mental health struggles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, I, yeah, and I'll also say during this period, um, I, I was still able to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do, focusing on my, um, my academia and that sort of thing. But yeah, it was just a lot of managing these, these, these down periods. Um, yeah, so towards, um, the, uh, yeah, end of end of primary school, sort of early high school, late high school. Oh, sorry, I'm mixing up my timeline. Um, you were correct in saying sort of late high school. I was, um, yeah, starting to uh, really have to manage an eating disorder that um, 
that I that I um, sort of picked up um, um, around that period. Um, and can I ask, did you keep that fairly well hidden, a secret from from your family and and those around you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I um, I never really spoke about it until after my first year of uni, um, when I really decided that this was starting to get in, in the way of, of me pursuing what I wanted to what I wanted to mm. do. Um, but yeah, during that sort of late high school, I, I really uh, lost my ambition for athletics, and um, uh, yeah, a big part of that was just feeling that I wasn't mentally strong enough, or that I wasn't I wasn't you know. Uh, skinny enough and, and that sort of stuff to uh, pursue athletics as a sport, which which in hindsight is mm. um, just a, a real symptom of, of um, the yeah the mental health issues that I was going through at that time. And what's been the reaction to you talking so openly about it? Uh, anything that surprised you and how people respond to you talking about it so well? Um, I, I, uh, it, it's been overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm very grateful for, um, the, the amazing feedback that I've, that I've been able to get. And, and it's been amazing just being somebody that people can approach and have this conversation with and not be afraid. Like it's, it's a real privilege to be able to be someone that I wish that I, that I was exposed to um, around that age in the late teens when I was going through this kind of thing. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things about um, being very vocal about this sort of stuff is, is that, um, yeah, it reduces that stigma and, and allows people to have these vulnerable com- conversations and, mm. and know that, they're, you know, that this experience is, is um, extremely common. Um, I think there's, you know, I think it's about 40% of people will experience having mental health um, um, mental illness in their lifetime and and um, but we don't hear a lot of people talking about it and mm. um, yeah it, it just makes it so much easier to, to have mm. these conversations and it sounds like you've learned a lot about yourself in the last uh, 10 years or so and you, you what well, you're still only 26 but uh, going back to the 15 or 16 year old Katrina Bissett do you do you do you relate to that person now I mean that sounds like a silly thing to say, but um, you seem like quite a different person to what I imagine you were back then. What would mm. you say to a, a teenage Katrina Bissett now? Yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like I am um, have grown a lot since then. Yeah. Um, I think if I were to meet my younger self, um, I uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about this question quite a lot. It's come up a few times, you know, talking about, uh, talking to uh younger athletes and that sort of thing. And, and I think what I would really encourage is, is for me to talk to, you know, talk to my friends and, and, um, because, uh, yeah, as an adult, I've, I've talked to many of my friends from that period and, and we've sort of discovered that we had a lot of very similar experiences and, um, it was a real shame that we were, that we weren't able to share that with each other. Um, and I think, Another thing was just to cultivate a, a real sense of, um, I, you know, anger. I think at um, at the pressures that I was under and mm. and the culture of, of athletics and and I guess in general of of women <laughs> needing to be mm. smaller or um, and not even just in their in their bodies but in in their voice and 
um, and the way they, they express themselves. I think um, I was, yeah, I think if I was um, speaking to my younger self, I would um, try and inspire a, um, a healthy, healthy sense of anger. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it just it's it's an absolute contradiction, isn't it? While you're trying to pursue a um, a demanding sport uh, that requires, I imagine, a great amount of fuel to go into your body, at the same time you're doing your best to restrict <laughs> mm. um, your food intake. They just don't go together, do they? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real damaging myth the the need to to be you know skinny and and that win win at all costs mentality. Um, because yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's, um, if you do it in the incorrect way, um, it's completely, uh, incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to, um, be well fueled and, um, to, to be able to push your body. And, um, it's unfortunate that a lot of athletes, uh, discover that a little bit too late. And, mm. and there's, um, I think particularly the coaches and, and, uh, the leaders in the sport as well, um, can do a lot more about, um, educating young athletes. Mm. Uh, importantly, to you, you moved from Canberra to Sydney, as you mentioned, to pursue your university studies. Um, was that just too much of a, a shock to your system? Too much of a culture shock going from that, you know, fairly insulated environment in in Canberra into the the big smoke, as it were, in in Sydney? Was it too much of a change to your system? Um, I, I, it, perhaps it was the you know the the last straw kind of thing, um, or maybe like a catalyst for. Uh, you know, I was dealing with all of these things so privately and, um, and finally I, you know, had just too much stress and, um, really had to, yeah, I think things just sort of boiled over. Um, it, I, I don't think it was, um, moving in itself that, that caused any problems. It was mm. more, um, I really was just, had a lot of things unresolved that, um, um, I, I realized we're starting to actually get in the way of, yeah. of, of me, you know, growing up and, and mm. going into my adulthood. All right. Well, how did you start to resolve those, to put it so bluntly? Where did you start? What did you do? Yeah, well, I, I started seeing a psychologist, <laughs> which I think, um, I yeah, it was, um, was probably the biggest change and the most positive change. And um, and often it's just making that first move and, and finally talking to somebody that, you know, that in itself is um, one of the biggest uh, ways to start healing. Um, and, yeah, starting that sort of long-term relationship with um, with my psychologist and, um, yeah, just learning about myself and, and, and learning these management skills and um, I think, yeah, confronting a lot of these things that I was, that I was suppressing and, and um, yeah, having to, having to think about them head on and, and think about what my what my goals were for the future and what what needed to change for mm. me to to be able to pursue them. And in terms of um, you know your your general lifestyle, I know you've been uh, also a um, a supporter of of more holistic measures to improve your life as well. Apart from seeing a psychologist, did you do anything else that that now you look back and say that was really helpful to me? Well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the whole the whole reason I suddenly uh, turned into a professional athlete was that I discovered running again um, mm. in my uh, I think I was twenty one twenty two I um, had finished my my bachelor degree and had um, entered the workforce started working full time in architecture 
and um, and realized that and, and and during this period I was still running, um, but just at a recreational level, just sort of a couple times a week or uh, yeah, just doing it with friends, that kind of thing. Yeah, and just going for a jog, essentially, were you? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or yeah. doing like I remember doing like a boot camp at six in the morning with one of my friends who was one of those a, people yeah <laughs> i don't think i did it very many times i think i probably did it about three times um, <laughs> that enough. It'd be three too yeah. many for me. <laughs> so it was just a handful of you know a mixed bag of that kind of stuff no real organizing no organization around it um but um i started running with sydney uni athletics club and um yeah i i, I realized that i really missed um, competing and I, and I missed running well and, and, you know, that sort of, you know, it's so amazing being able to improve every year and qualify for, you know, like the state championships and, and make a final and that sort of thing. And, um, I realized that if I wanted to do that properly, um, I, I needed to really apply myself and, and I, and I knew how to do it because I had done it as a, as a kid. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I found that just extremely beneficial for my mental health as well. Just not only, you know, um, all that research into, you know, endorphins and the, all the chemical benefits of, of exercise. I think it's underplayed the community benefits of, um, of being part of a running team yeah. and, and, um, being part of this, uh, this really great community. And, um, yeah, I, I remember my running squad in, in Sydney, just had such a diverse range of athletes as well. You had students, but you also had sort of masters athletes. Um, so you'd had all these sort of different intergenerational friendships going on. And um, no, it was. I, I think that was huge for me, absolutely. Mm. Um, and and in particular as well, the routine that comes from it, having these set training times that um, you would rock up and everyone would be there waiting for you, kind of thing. And um, and yeah, and and. That was yeah the routine yeah. community and then just the basic uh, <laughs> good things that yeah. come from moving your body are all really beneficial. And yeah, on on one level at least, it almost seems counterintuitive that you would want to put yourself back into a high stress, high pressure, elite level sporting environment when um, the pressure was one of the factors that um, that led you towards that dark place in your teens. Did that ever cross your mind or, or worry you that you might be putting yourself back in an environment that could be potentially damaging to your mental health? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, well, in the early days, it wasn't this sort of elite high pressure environment. Mm. Absolutely. It was, it was all the good things, um, that, that I, that I loved about running when I was little. Um, and um, it was only later when I discovered that I'm actually quite good at this um, <laughs> these, that um, that I was exposed to that environment again. But I mean, I'm I, I I talk about you know I talk about these dark periods of my life, but I also feel that they're extremely in, in, invaluable to to who I am as an athlete now. Like if I didn't go through those times, I wouldn't have learnt um, learnt so much about myself and learnt these amazing management skills and built such an amazing support team around me. So, um, yeah, like we said before, I'm very different to, to my younger self and entering, uh, elite sport again, i I was equipped and ready and, um, yeah. and, um, yeah, completely, completely, um, you know, at peace with a lot of different things. And, and it just meant that I, I was able to, to, um, become an elite athlete, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Katrina, we need to take a break, but after that, uh, we'll move on to your 
uh, I think we can say a meteoric rise uh, to the top <laughs> in your event in Australia because uh, although it's been a, a long road to get to where you are now, the last couple of years particularly, haven't they, uh, have been enormous in terms of your progress and mm. your uh, now, now current standing as the national uh, record holder in the 800 metres. So we'll get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Katrina Bissett is our special guest. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell, and this one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. The inspiring story of Katrina Bissett, who has risen to become our national 800-metre women's record holder uh, after some pretty tough and turbulent years. And she is now gunning for the 2021 uh, Tokyo Olympics. Fingers, toes and everything else crossed that it all goes ahead now as scheduled and as planned. Uh, I mentioned that her rise has been a meteoric one and really that uh, was set in stone uh, in London in 2019. Uh, This is a little bit of audio uh, of when she ran that uh, now famous national record race. We understand that uh, Bissett breaks Charlene Rendina's Australian record and that's been around for a long, long time. Being a middle distant runner, it's, it's something you have to endure so much pain, if I might say, in training, and I think it just gives you so much strength. We also heard in there, uh, another voice in there was uh, Charlene Rendina. Uh, She is the Australian who held that 800 metre record for 43 years, making it one of the longest standing records uh, in national athletics. That is until our guest Katrina Bissett broke it. Uh, Katrina, talk us through that race in uh, 2019 in London. Um, Did you feel like you had that time uh, in your legs on that day? I mean, a sub two minute uh, uh, run in the 800 metres uh, is is a rarity in Australian athletics, but you were well and truly under that. Well, I think 158.73 you clocked in at mm, that's um, in that in that race. An extraordinary run. Did you feel like you were in that sort of form on the day? Um, I, I think um, hindsight's an interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think on the day I was um, extremely nervous that because that London Diamond League was my first ever Diamond League and. and um, it was my, that was my first season, um, running internationally. Um, so I was, I think I was very nervous and, and not really thinking about a lot of things before the race, but, um, yeah, I was, um, had a, a string of, of very good, very good races pretty much since, uh, I think it was March. I had a, um, unbeaten win streak. Um, I think it was, ended up being around a dozen races, um, so I, uh, I knew that, um, I was, I was in very good shape and if, uh, if things all went to plan, um, mm. that, that record would, would, would be within reach. But, um, I, um, I think I, I approach pretty much every race thinking that I can run and run the Australian record or run a, a personal best. Yep. Um, so we weren't, um, particularly targeting that race, but, um, it just happened to, um, be very well paced and, um, I was. I had a, a few very good races leading into it. Yeah. Um, so it all it all worked out. The previous record holder, Charlene, that we heard a little from then as well. <laughs> What's it like meeting the lady um, who you've just taken off the, <laughs> the that mantle? <laughs> Is it an awkward uh, meeting when you meet this person? 
and, no, and you no, have no. to sort of all right officially hand over the the imaginary baton there to you know to to <laughs> you now becoming the the fastest 800 meter runner in the country Oh, well, Charlene is such an amazing lady. Like she's, yeah, she's, she's such a badass woman. Like when I, <laughs> when I saw, when I met her, she, um, she's still running now. Like she's still, um, she's she still looks, very she looks amazing. Fit. Yeah. Like, and, and, um, yeah, just rambunctious, lovely. Um, so it was fantastic meeting mm. her and, um, and you could see, you know, why she was such a successful athlete cause she's, um, just got such an amazing, um, personality and, um, she was even wearing a, a moon boot because she had injured herself, um, <laughs> <laughs> training, um, training, uh, recently. Um, no, it, it was really an honor to meet her and, um, having, I think, yeah, I think it was the longest standing record, uh, um, at that time. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it's amazing. Like that is such an incredible achievement and, you know, I, I don't know how long my record will last, but, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Well, 43 years would be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully I can beat it a few more times. Hopefully you can break it a few more times before you (laughs) hang up the shoes. (laughs) That's right. I've got to ask the 800 meters as an event. uh, I mean, people talk about the 400 as being, really really tough because it is essentially a sprint but the 800 is is almost a sprint as well isn't it and, and i know mm. you know in terms of you can argue and until the end of time about which is the toughest but it is widely regarded as one of the most if not the most grueling running events you can possibly set your mind to in fact even the great michael johnson was asked this question about the toughest <laughs> event and he says that, you know, he's, he's obviously biased towards the 400 and would like to agree with those who suggest that it is the toughest. But uh, when you run the 800 metres uh, for time, it's, it's even tactically harder than the 400. I mean, it seems to suit your character, given what we know about you, Katrina, <laughs> that you would set your mind to the toughest event. But, mm. but really, it, it is a really crazy event, isn't it, the 800? Yeah, I, I, it's... Um... I like to call it a long sprint. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a long sprinter rather than a middle distance runner. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting uh, intersection of, of that of that sprint event. So um, I, I usually think of sprint events as um, you, you usually uh, have to you, – you go out hard and, and, and your body will uh, slow down. And um, whereas uh, the, the distance events you uh, usually speed up because you can um, – push it a bit harder at the end but but when you have that lactic acid of of um the sprint events uh, a lot of it is just fighting your own body um so it's a combination of that plus the tactics of a non uh laned event so um yeah we break out of lanes after the first 100 meters and there's all the pushing and shoving and um i think they call it argy bargy in yeah. australia i think that's the australian <laughs> word for it it's a lot of great australianisms um um a lot of yeah a few elbows um and yeah, and, and um, you can you can really uh, stuff yourself in the in the first lap, and yeah. um, and and then things can change uh, dramatically in the last hundred meters mm. as well. So it, it is a a very um, a very interesting event in that way, and yeah, extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah, and as you mentioned, when you crunch down into one lane compared to say a four hundred, then tactics really do become more complicated, don't they? Because you know so, mm. someone's out the front, you know, essentially sort of breaking a headwind for those behind them. They're kind of taking one for the for the rest of the pack, aren't they? Um, mm. What's it like when you when you're in that that crush of of runners? You know, where one 
tiny clipping of a of a shoe can send you head over heels and out of the race and even you know onto the sidelines with injury when you when you're in that that tight pack you just all focus on that one prize of getting to the line first what can you can you sort of take us inside there and paint a picture for us what's it like in there mm, it's um it is, it is very intimate. Like I think, um, is are you do you gesture to each other? Do you, are you does anyone ever say anything or you know get out of my way or does that ever happen? <laughs> no, you, you're definitely going a bit too quick. To um, you probably couldn't put a, f- a yeah. few words together. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, a lot of it is is just very intuitive. Like it is it is you know often a race that's less than two minutes long. Um, there, there, you ha- there, there aren't many um, thoughts that can really you, that you can put together in, in such a short period of time. Um, but um, no, a lot of it is, um, you know, you, you you train this sort of muscle memory, um, and so when you get into a race, a lot of the time, um, the best best tactic is to um, have an empty mind and and let your body sort of react to the people around you. Um, a lot of it is just that sort of instinctual reaction of if you're in that pack and perhaps you're you're leading or um, uh, you're in the second or third position and, and someone makes a move, um, you have to you can't be able to think. You just have to move um, mm. at the same time and, and move in that pack. And yeah, it's um it's it's definitely different to the sprint events where you're in lanes and and you have a you know, you have people in your periphery, but you don't, um, mm. you're not, you're not, you know, up against them and touching them and that sort of thing and r- rubbing elbows. Are you um, an elbows in or elbows out runner, Katrina? Well, do you, do you, do you I, um, I'm, turn I'm them sideways with, to fend um, off people ever? <laughs> well, I'm blessed with very broad shoulders. So um, I, uh, I take up a lot of space in the lane. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm quite lucky in that I don't, I don't have to uh, uh, sort of shove my way through. I, I, um, uh, take up a lot of space, which yeah. is quite good. Good way to be. <laughs> they got to shove me. <laughs> hey, after the break, Katrina, I want to ask you about uh, your move to Melbourne and the, the difference that it made in you uh, changing coaches uh, to the great uh, Peter Fortune uh, and how that really started you on a such a, a, a rapid rise through the ranks. But we do need to take a break. We'll get to that right after this. This is Inspiring Stories. Katrina Bissett is our special guest. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is 800 metre champion Katrina Bissett. Uh, Katrina, in early 2017, you moved from Sydney to Melbourne and you changed coaches as well. Now, I suppose athletics coaches are not terribly well known uh, outside of that smallish athletics community in Australia, but Peter Fortune is probably one that is fairly well known, uh, particularly recently with that uh, amazing uh, Kathy Freeman documentary uh, that aired uh, late last year. The man who's credited as being, uh, I suppose, her guide. Uh, helping her towards Olympic glory in the 400 metres at the Sydney uh, 2000 Games. Uh, has he had uh, a similar sort of effect on you in that he's he's really helped you to harness your your full potential and, and get to where you want to be, like he did mm. with uh, with Kathy Freeman? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the um, his his talent is really bringing out. Um, you know your 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 unique personality kind of thing. I mm. think um, 
you would think, you know, after what you've said about his amazing accomplishments, he's the most humble person you'll ever meet. He comes across as um, like the sweet grandpa of athletics. Yeah. And, um, and I think, and he's, you know, stated specifically that he thinks that his role is to make himself redundant. Like he thinks that it's all about giving the athlete the skills and empowering the athlete. And I think that's what's made him, you know, so much better. Well, just so successful. I think a lot of coaches sort of fall into the, uh, you know, hype somebody up and um, talk about how great they are and, and, and all that sort of thing. Whereas he's much more about, you know, nurturing this, you know, a whole person, you know, that if you're happy and running well, uh, that means you'll be racing well. Um, yep. and, um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's genius. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are rapidly running out of time, Katrina, and I know uh, we are counting down to, uh, to the Tokyo games. Um, but I understand, uh, you're not just content with your 800 meter record. You're actually about to, uh, uh em- embark on, on trying to set an, another Australian record between now and, and Tokyo. Tell us about the 1000 meter event that you've got on the cards. Yeah, so this was a um, a lockdown idea that um, <laughs> that um, yeah, because there wasn't any racing going on, and like as as we all are well aware, the the COVID um, situation has been um, created a real mental health crisis in Australia, and um, I'm a community custodian for Lifeline, and um, Lifeline is uh, yeah an amazing service, free yep. free helpline for people to call. Um, uh, uh, if they're having um, trouble or, or suicidal thoughts, um, and it's a service that I've used myself as well, so I'm very passionate about the cause. And so I um, came up with this idea of attempting to, um, uh, uh, yeah, beat the 1,000 meter Australian record, um, which is a very uh, uh, rarely contested event, and um, mm. and hopefully raise um, some awareness and raise some money for Lifeline. And yeah, if if people want to donate. Um, one of the, uh, I've got a link on my Instagram page, so if you look up Katrina Bissett um, on Instagram, um, or just Google Katrina Bissett Lifeline 1000 meters, um, it'll it'll come up. But um, so that'll be happening on March 2nd. Um, so I've got about another month to prepare. Um, but um, yeah, I think I, I really wanted to do something during lockdown and um, and and, and uh, yeah, raise awareness and. and you know, show how, um, you know, the running community can get together and really make a difference. What a fantastic uh, event to turn your mind to, particularly, as you say, with a, a lack of events to prepare you for Tokyo. Although having just talked about how gruelling the 800 metres is, um, I think you're absolutely mad to add another 200 <laughs> metres to that. Yeah, uh, but I'm look, <laughs> hey, whatever works for you between now and uh, the Games. Katrina, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story with us. And uh all the very best for your preparations uh, between now and the middle of the year. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, out on the track, hopefully, uh, in Tokyo in, what, July of this year. So thanks again for your time and no, good luck you. with thanks everything. We'll be cheering me. you on. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.